Hey, uh, I just want to intro this video quickly. I got a, I got this from a friend, of, two friends of mine. <clears throat> um, Friday, Thursday or Friday, you can bring that on it. Um, it's just a, a word of encouragement for our church from two guys, and you probably know who they are, the Kendrick brothers, Stephen and Alex Kendrick from Albany, who did War Room and Fireproof and Facing the Giants, and we just have become friends over the last probably six or eight months, and they just sent us this word of encouragement for our church, whatever this was, Thursday or Friday. Y'all watch this. Hey, my church, this is Alex Kendrick. And Stephen Kendrick. And uh, we are excited because we're hearing about the fruitfulness of my church. Uh, we are so grateful for uh, Pastor Griffin Hagen and his wife uh, helping us and, and what happened with, them, with the production of Overcomer in Columbus. Mm -hmm. We're also hearing about the growth and the unity at your church, and we commend that and encourage yes. you to keep that up as the Lord keeps, keeps bringing fruitfulness from your body. God is obviously doing something special at your church with your pastor's testimony, with the people that are getting saved on a weekly basis, uh, with the unity that they, that's there, the love, and then this new opportunity that you have to grow and the, the people that you're reaching for Christ on the trail. It's very exciting. And uh, we just want to encourage you to continue to seek the Lord together, to stay unified, to pray boldly, big prayers, trust God for great things, and be willing to, to dive in and watch God use you in the days ahead. Yes. Amen. God bless you, my church. Take care. So, look, today it, today really is a big day. It's a big day, and it's a big day for a few reasons. One of the reasons, not the least of which for sure, is we're kicking off a student ministry, 412 uh, student ministry, tonight at uh, 6 o'clock. And you'll see that is your student ministry team. You know, Ben Faust and Caitlin Morris and uh, and Melody Jackson and and Julio Hernandez and Stephen Fortenberry leading them. That's a good-looking student ministry. That's a real good-looking student ministry. So that's, you know, that's going on tonight. And if you've got a, uh, a middle schooler or a high schooler, you need to tie something around some appendage on their body and drag them here. Hopefully they're going to want to come. But if they don't, you tie something around their ankle, you drag them here because it's going to be a great, great night. And bring, you know, get them to bring one of their friends because it'll be a good night tonight. And number two, uh, we're going to talk through this, but uh, Jay Massey said to me, and it got in my head, so I have to say it. He said this morning, like probably 15 minutes ago, he said, Susan's pregnant, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, my brother, Susan. She does glow. She has a special glow, but no, she is not pregnant. Um, but <laughs> number two, uh, number two, um, you know, I, I want us to walk through some news in the in the life of our church, and I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that is a, a, a very important passage in the life of the church, and it's a very important passage in the life of our church. It's Matthew 16, 18, and that is not some new passage for us here at my church, but in order to understand, really fully understand this, this verse, 16, 18, I want us to back up to verse 15, and I want to read just that, those two or three or four verses right there together. He said to them, and it's Jesus talking to his guys, he said to them, but, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, uh, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, that was Peter's given name, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell 
will not prevail against it. For centuries, the Roman Catholic Church has said that it is Peter that the church is built on, that that somehow made him the first pope, pope. And we react to that, and we say, no, no, the church is not built on Peter. The church is built on the confession that Peter makes in verse 16, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's Christ that is the head of the church, and there's no, there's no pope stuff in this passage. So it really is a critical passage for the church. And some say that it is a passage where Jesus introduces something new. I will, it's future tense, build my church. And so the implication there is that it's something new. There's never been a church, but there's going to be a church. And others say, no, it's not as technical. You're getting way too technical with it. It's just the Lord saying that he will continue to build his people the way that he's built his people in the past. And so you can see in this these three or four verses that there are some issues. But this morning, what I want to really talk about and focus on is one statement of the Lord in verse 18. He says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And that is the heart of it. And it all revolves around that statement. All of us in this room have noticed in the last 20 years or so this proliferation of big mega churches. 20,000 people, 10,000 people, 15,000 people, whatever it is, yada, 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 yada. And shortly, uh, shortly after I was called to be uh, the pastor of, of our church here, uh, one of my friends said to me, and it was an odd kind of question. He said, do you have it? It was the way he worded it was odd. He said, do you have a desire to build the church? Do you, do you have a desire to build the church? And I thought about that kind of for a second. And I said, no, I really don't have a desire to build the church. And he looked at me like I'd lost my mind, and he said, he said, well, that don't make no sense. And I said, well, bro, let me make it make a little sense to you. I have zero desire to build the church, and, and you see, here's, here's why. Christ said he'd do it, and I'd prefer not to compete with Jesus. Probably not a good thing to be doing. And so I know that was a little bit of a sarcastic answer, but it's what, the way that I feel in my heart. And I guess there are plenty and plenty and plenty of churches that men have built, but that's different than Jesus building his church. It's very different than Jesus building his church. And I'm telling you that I'm not interested, I'm not interested in gimmicks. I'm not interested in techniques. I'm not interested in programs and plans and promotions that, quote, guarantee a crowd. The gospel is foolish to the world. You understand that? The gospel is foolishness to the world. And so I'm not interested really in building the church at all. But I am insanely interested and freakishly excited about being part of the church that Christ is building. that's, That's what gets me up in the morning and it's what keeps me awake late at night. And I want you all, I want to make sure that we all understand the difference between those two things. And I know from what the Bible says here in Matthew 16 that he is going to build his church. He, he is going to build his church, and I just want to be part of, of what he's building. Does that make sense? Okay. The Lord will build his church, and I want to be part of that church, and I want this to be part of that church that he's building. And that is so, um, that is so reassuring. 
that passage is so reassuring because it, it, it says that he'll build his church and that makes me, honestly, that makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel confident that he's going to do it and it's not on me to do that. It's on him to do that because he says that he's going to do it and I just have to be and I just want to be in the place where he's doing it. And so if that is comforting to me in 2018, back up to when, to when the events in Matthew 16 are taking place and it had to have been unbelievably reassuring and comforting to those guys that Jesus is talking to. They were walking along dusty roads in Israel and they were had been really put to the curb by most of the people in Israel. The Jewish leaders were after Jesus. And honestly, they'd have just been just as happy if he was already dead. The people were looking for a military Messiah. They were looking for a, a, a political Messiah. And they, they really just missed the whole thing. And so the whole kingdom thing, as his disciples understood it, with all of their expectations of a Messiah, the whole idea of the Messiah coming and seating himself on a throne, David's throne, in fact, and giving authority and power and control and all of that back to Israel and having a kingdom that would sweep across the known world, all of that messianic expectation that his guys had, it just wasn't happening. In fact, really the contrary was happening. They were a little band of nobodies, his guys, a little band of nobodies. And they were sort of a disheveled group of, of, of people. And they were running around with this Jesus guy. And they were wondering whether or not this whole program of God was really happening. Because from what they could see, from their vantage point, everything looked like the total opposite of what he had planned. And so it's in that moment. Imagine yourself one of those guys. It's in that moment when their hopes are beginning to fall, when they're beginning to question these messianic expectations that they had, and they're wondering why the gurus, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, why had they missed this Jesus guy altogether? The whole thing was really so odd to his disciples, and it looked like the Lord was not going to build his kingdom, and really the exact opposite, at least, from their eyes, seem to be happening. And then in verse 21, and we're not going to go into verse 21 or 22, but I need to say this. In verse 21, Jesus told them now he had to go to Jerusalem and he had to suffer and he had to die. And for the last few months of his ministry, that was his focus. The text says he turned towards Jerusalem. He turned towards the cross. And then, of course, Peter's reaction in verse 22 was was like, oh, no, 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 not on my watch. Peter's saying, not on my watch. That's not fixing to happen. You're not getting ready to suffer. You're not getting ready to die. It's not going to happen. But their confidence was waning. Their hope was waning. There's not any reassurance in what they're seeing. And so all this bad news, this bad news about Jesus suffering, worse than his guys had, had really ever heard before. And in light of this, the Lord needs to reveal to them that in spite of what appears on the surface, his program is moving ahead. His program is pushing on And that's why it is so awesome that it is in that very moment, all of that seemingly bad 
It was in that moment that Jesus said, I will build my church. He said, the original plan is not off. The program hadn't changed. He is building his church. And so those guys, they needed that confidence. They needed it, just like we do, just like the people of God for all of history, all of church history have needed. You can imagine like how it looked to the early church when they were being massacred. They were literally being used as light posts set on fire to light the streets. You can imagine what that looked like to them. You can imagine how it looked to the, to the, to the, to the Chinese believers when the communist revolution uh, took over and they were being crushed. You can, there have always been times when it looked like God's people were going to be wiped out. Back up to when the Israelites were in Egypt. Could have been wiped out then. Back up even a little further and look at, at when, when uh, the Jews were taken into exile twice and they're in Babylon. They could have been wiped out there. Back up to when God's people have, have, were shaking their fist at him and marrying into pagan cultures over and over and over incessantly, marrying into pagan cultures. They could have been wiped out there. There's always been times when the train of God's people looked like it was coming to a halt, but it never did. And Jesus is saying to them, and it won't now. It's not happening now. And so this message is, is a message of big-time hope that the struggling, persecuted, rejected, martyred people of God are still going to go on. And when they look like losers, you're just not looking close enough. There is victory at the end. Don't you know we, we see the end. We win at the end of the day. And so he says, I will build my church. And that's the heart of this passage. And so this morning, I want to I wanna, I wanna just share with y'all some points that mark the church that Christ builds. What does it look like? What are the characteristics? What are the elements of it? Just kind of what it, what it looks like. First of all, I want to talk about the, the certainty of it. The certainty. The church that Christ builds is a certain church. It, it's, it's assured. In the South, we'd say it's for sure. F-E-R-S-U-R is for sure. And it's for sure, y'all, because verse 18 says, I will build. What makes that so certain is the I. Who's the I? Who's the I that said that? Jesus is the I that says that. Jesus is God. God's not a liar. He's going to accomplish what he intends to accomplish. He's the faithful one that always, always, always keeps his word. And when Jesus says, I will build my church, then it means that the church is certain to be built. I can rest really easy knowing that. And so this, the, the certainty of the church is its unwavering, unchanging, absolute foundation that's the promise and the power of God to fulfill that promise. Matter of fact, to fulfill every promise that he makes. And so the Lord builds his church. And, and that's certain. It's for sure. Y'all, that is so reassuring. And it is exhilarating to know that it is the Lord that does it. It's built on a promise, and I can just rest in that promise. And all we want to do is be in the place where he's doing it. 
All we want to do is be in the place where He's doing it. And you say, well, what is that place? It's not that hard. What is that place? It's simple. As you get into the New Testament, you're going to find that that there's very obvious patterns, very (laughs) obvious patterns presented for the way that we ought to live. And we're called upon to walk in the Spirit, and we're called upon to, to obey the Word of God. And the Scripture tells us how to live and how to think and how to speak and how to act. The Bible lays out the pattern. The Bible lays this pattern out for me and you. And as we begin to live in obedience to God's Word, as we have His priorities in focus, not our priorities, not Ed's priorities, not Richard's priorities, but God's priorities in focus. And as we walk, at least begin to walk, under the parameters that His Word has set for us, we will become the channel through which Christ can build His church. We will become the channel through which Christ can build His church. And then as soon as we, if we stop obeying His Word, as soon as we detour from a life of righteousness and a life of faith and a life of obedience, and as soon as we put to the curb the biblical pattern, the channel gets blocked. The church ain't blocked. The church doesn't get blocked. The channel gets blocked. Do y'all get the, the difference there? The church will find another place to go. And it will move on being built. But we just won't be able to be part of that. And that's why we can all probably say this, that there's, you, you can just say, well, I know this church over there, over here, over there, and nobody's ever getting saved over there, and nothing's ever happening over there, and they may as well bar the windows and nail the door shut because there's no life in that church. And that doesn't mean, we all know that, we've all seen that, but what it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that the, that, that the church is not being built. It means they don't get to be part of what God is doing. The church is going to be built. He'll just cut a fresh channel as many times as he has to to keep the flow of life in the church. He will build his church. He will. But isn't it more exciting to be in a place where that's, t- where that's happening? Isn't it more exciting to be in the place where he's doing it? And you see, that's why the commitment in, in my heart has always been the same. Susan said to me four or five months ago, she said, one of the coolest things about you um, about you being a pastor. One of the coolest things is that you don't have the baggage of growing up in a church. You're not dragging along this burden. You're not dragging all this baggage behind you. And I would guess with 300 people sitting out there that probably lots of y'all have lots of baggage from growing up in the church. That makes me want to cry because growing up in the church should be beautiful. It should be a beautiful, amazing thing. But somehow or another... Over the years, people grab and, not grab, they're just, they're, they're saddled with this baggage. And, she, and so she just said to me, it's so cool that all you want to do is what the Bible says. And the truth is, that is in my heart. All I want to do is what the Bible says. And so if we just do what the Bible says, then, you know, they called Billy Graham the Bible says man. So if I can model myself of, of one person that was not God, that would be the one I want to model myself over. The Bible says that's a good thing. And so if we can just keep doing what the Bible says, then we are letting God build His church His way. And where you have a righteous channel 
us where you have a righteous channel, that'll be where God's going to run his church. And y'all, if we don't walk in obedience to the word, and if we don't do things by the book, and if we don't act as his hands and his feet, then the Lord is going to, he's going to, he's going to damn it up. And he's going to shoot off into another direction. And to the best of my ability as a human being, that's not happening here. It's not. If I have any little bitty say-so, that's not going to happen here. And my prayer is just, God, help us be in the place where you're moving and where you're shaking and where you're doing your thing. And, y'all, if you look at the book of Acts, you're going to see this element of God building his church. It's what the whole book of Acts is all about. I just want to run through it quickly. A few passages in Acts, 22, uh, excuse me, 239. This is right after Peter's sermon at Pentecost, which birthed the church in Acts chapter 2. And he calls for repentance and he calls for baptism and he tells these people that you, of course, can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and salvation. And here's what he says in, in verse 39. He says, for the promise is to you, to your children, to all that are far off. And he's talking to Jews and Gentiles all over the world. He says, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And this is Peter talking. Now, in Peter's mind, look at that verse. Who's building the church? Who's calling the people? Is it Peter calling the people? No. It's the Lord our God who's calling people. The Lord is building His church. John six thirty seven. Jesus said, All that the Father get, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives will come. It is the Lord that is building His church. Look at the end of Acts 2.47. That's after Peter's sermon at Pentecost. It says, And the Lord added to the church day by day those who were being saved. The Lord is building His church. Look at Acts 5. Acts 5, after the death of, of, of Ananias and Sapphira for lying to God, there were many signs and wonders among the people, the text says. But then in verse 14 it says this, And more than ever... Believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. They weren't added to the church. They were added to the Lord. They, were, they weren't added to the church. They were added to the Lord. You don't join an organization. You join the Lord. You unite to the Lord. He calls. He builds. People are united to Him. The Lord's building. The Lord's calling. The Lord is redeeming His own. And then in Acts thirteen forty-eight, And when the Gentiles heard this, They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The ones that God had chosen, the ones that God had ordained, the ones that God had ordained to eternal life, they believed, every one of them. It's the Lord that builds his church. And then the epistles in the New Testament, the letters, Paul's writings, James's writings, Peter's writings. They all tell us how the church is to function as the channel that the Lord will use to build His church. They tell us how leadership is to be chosen. They tell us how, they tell us about deacons and they tell us about elders and they tell us about, uh, about the order of prayer and they tell us about the teaching of the Word and about holiness and about, uh, about righteousness and, and about church discipline. How we're to conduct ourselves. It just gives us the whole layout of the way this fleshes itself out in practical living. And so God is building His church, and it is awesome to know that. And all we want to do is be in the place where He's doing it. And that's why we oppose 
human wisdom. And I know that sounds weird for me to say that, but we oppose human wisdom. That is why carnality and ineptitude and indifference and apathy and apostasy and liberalism and religion and ceremonialism and charismaticism and fanaticism and any other ism that you can think of will not stop his church from being built. Matter of fact, they'll get in the, they'll get in the way of it. They're not going to stop his church from being built. The gospel is going to advance. We can be on the train or we cannot be on the train, but the gospel will advance. His church will be built. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And y'all, that is the certainty that can, you can say amen. That is the certainty of the church that Christ builds. And there's a second truth here. And it's not only the certainty of the church, it's the intimacy of the church. And I just love this. He says, I will build what? My church. He doesn't say the church. He doesn't say the great church. He doesn't say the mega church. He says, I will build my church. There's a personal pronoun there. I love that personal pronoun. He's the builder. He's the contractor. He's the architect. He's the owner. We're his. We are one with him in amazing, holy intimacy. He purchased us. We learned that from the book of Ruth. He bought us back. And it wasn't cheap. Y'all, grace is not cheap. It is expensive. There's a huge price. Acts 20, 28 says he did it with his own precious blood. And in Acts 9, in Acts 9, when Saul was Saul who was Paul before he was renamed, when Saul was persecuting Christians, he was on the road, on the Damascus road, on the way to kill Christians. And he's confronted with the Lord, with the risen Christ. Paul is, is confronted there. And I love what he said, what Jesus said to him. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Is that what he said? Somebody shaved their head no. He did not say, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? What did he say? He said, why are you persecuting me? He says, if you, if you mess with them, you're messing with me. He said, if you poke them in the eye, you're poking me in the eye. That's why I said I don't want to argue. I don't want to fight with Jesus. It's, it's, an, it's an intimacy. 1 Corinthians, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 says, He that is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And then he says in John 10, he says, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep. I know them and they know my voice. It's an intimate relationship. The intimacy of that, God's people in a holy, intimate relationship with Him forever. It blows me away to think about that, that thought of being, uh, of an intimate union forever, for eternity with the Lord. And you know that, just that key thought there. Jesus is saying that no matter what the world does, no matter how the world reacts to me, to you, to the gospel, I will go on building my church. And he says, my church is this intimate union with my redeemed. That is the church. It's always been the church. Forever, it has been an intimate union with Christ's redeemed. No matter how liberal the church is, no matter how apostate Christianity becomes, regardless of how decadent America gets, no matter how Christless or godless society gets, it will not prevent the building of Christ's church. 
no matter what. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against it in verse 18. The title of this message today is Upon This Rock, The Church That Christ Builds. Five or six times this morning I've said to y'all that he's building it and I just want to be in the place where he's building it. And he builds a church of godly men and women that love him and that love each other. He builds a church that loves the people on the other side of that door. Y'all, he builds a church that serves each other and serves the people on the other side of that door. He builds a church that loves his word and grows by digging into that word together. He builds a church that that prays together and that prays for each other. That's why every Sunday we have a team of people back there to pray for you or with you. That's why your staff and your elders pray for y'all every single week. We do that at staff meeting. We do that every day during the week. We email each other and we are constantly constantly lifting this body up in prayer. He builds a church that lifts each other up and doesn't tear each other down. He builds a church that celebrates the joys of life together and then leans on each other when there's a trial. He builds a church that cries over the fact that people die lost and end up Spend an eternity in hell. Do y'all get that? We cry over that. The fact that people die lost and we cry together over that. He builds a church that is a million percent committed to sharing and spreading the gospel. He builds a church that is committed to reaching out to the widows and to the orphans and to the folks on the street. And if you put all of that up in a bucket and you stir all of that up, is that he builds a church of people that are in intimate union with him and intimate union with each other. A church of committed godly men and godly women and godly kids and godly tots and godly teens that are missional. That are missional. We have a missional mindset. We're on the trail. We're on the trail. Talk about trails for a minute. Y'all do know that we got 10 or 11 acres of land down yonder. Yonder. Down. <laughs> Came out. We're fixing to talk about that down yonder. The down Flat Rock Road. And it's on a trail. Let's talk about the way that kind of came to be. The way that land became ours. So five years ago, I was uh, just so happened. Y'all, we learned a lot about just so happened in the book of Ruth. Just so happened I'm working at Cole Banker. It just so happened I'm walking down the hall and it just so happened that I walked by a lady named Mary Dye's office and Mary Dye was talking about selling some land. She's talking on the phone to somebody. Talking about selling some land and a little house on Flat Rock Road. And I put the brakes on. I just so happened to be, just so happened to hear her say that. And it didn't just so happen. I was, had a cup on the door listening, but, <laughs> but it, but it, but I stopped and I said, Mary, don't, don't, list that property yet let us go look at that property before you do that and so uh and so we did that afternoon uh we went and looked at that property and uh that uh, that next day we put an offer on it and about 30 days later we closed on that first five point like one or two acres and then about a month later through excuse me about four months later through some really unbelievably sovereign movements of the lord we bought the adjacent five and a half acres, and so now we've got about 11, 10.8 I think, running from Warm Springs Road to the rails to trails down along Flat Rock Road. 
And so over the next few years, over these last four or five years, we've had all kinds of events and things on the land. See that up on the screen. You're going to see a few of those up on the screen. You know, this is a burrito run. Does anybody remember the burrito run 5K that we had? And we had a concert out there and we raised funds to, uh, to launch a ministry in Mexico. Look, we've had Easter worship services. We've had, uh, you know, the God, that's Caitlin and, and Zach Morris. We did the God plunge. Uh, we did the God, you know, that was the first person I ever baptized other than my two sons. Um, but that's Caitlin and Zach, that was Caitlin and Zach Morris. So we've done baptisms on the land. We've done Easter on the land. We've done Christmas Eve on the land. We've done trunk or treats. This year at trunk or treat, there was like 1,300 people there. You know, kids have, have run and played on that land. Kids have swung in those tire swings. So many things that we've done on, on that land. And our, our church, Stephen Armstrong's dad, cooking. Um, so we've had, you know, it's just been an unbelievable what God has done on that land. This next picture is looking out of the office, church offices down there. We use the house right now uh, for the church office. That's looking out the window of where I sit at the church office. And do you all know that I'm going to guess once or twice a week, very often, once or twice a week we'll look out the window and somebody will be kneeling out there praying at that rock. Somebody that has nothing to do with this church. Somebody, people that don't go to this church. I was looking out that, I was over at the church office on a Friday night and it was probably 7 o'clock at night and there was a group of teenagers I guess it was homecoming because this was not that long ago. You know, they had tuxedos on and long dresses on and they were out there taking pictures. Before they left, they went and prayed at that rock. It happens all the time. Y'all, God does so much with, with that land. Do you have any idea how many people have walked from the pavement of Flat Rock Road onto that land, lost as a goose and going to hell, but when they walked back off the land onto that pavement, they were saved. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. That is why what we, we do what we do. God is building His church, and we just want to be in the place where He's doing it. That is all. Well, in September, August or September, a friend of mine called, and he's a commercial contractor, commercial builder, and he's married to the sister of one of my lifelong best friends. And I hadn't spoken to him in, golly, I don't know, three years probably, at least three years, maybe four or five. And he called me and he said, uh, he said, the, the, he said, God just kind of put y'all on my mind and I just want to see if you want to go have lunch. So we went and had lunch. And in the course of that uh, conversation, um, we, we were just talking about life. And he said, what is it like um, to be a pastor of a church? And, you know, we just talked. And he we talked about the, our vision kind of of, the, of of our body of believers. And, and, uh, and we started talking about, he said, you know, are you all planning on building? And we talked a little bit about, about that. And obviously, obviously, we have wanted to build uh, a, a church building on that land over there. But honestly, we've just never had a plan. We've never had a plan. And you all, a goal without a plan is a wish. It's a wish. And I just don't think, I don't believe that God does wishes. I think he does plans, and I think he does prayerfully considered plans. I think he just doesn't do wishes. 
So he asked me, Stuart, uh, the contractor, he asked me, he said, let me call my architect. That scared me a little bit. And I said, that may be a little premature because we don't have the money right now yet to be paying thousands of dollars to an architect. And I thought, well, but a goal without a plan is a wish. And so I said, okay, you call him, call him. God's building a church, his church, and all we want to do is be in a place where he's doing it. So Stuart said, call him, and I ended up saying, okay. And we met a, two weeks probably later. I met with him and the, uh, and the architect, and I, we met in the church house. And here was the first question the architect said. He didn't say, tell me how many bedrooms and bathrooms you're looking for. He said, uh, he said tell me about the DNA of your church body. I knew the dude was a believer. People don't use that kind of language. He said, tell me about where you think God's leading your church. Tell me about, give, give me the vision. Give me, I want to hear your heart as it relates to the, to the, the group of people that, that you're shepherding. And so we did for like three hours. We sat there. And then he told me, the architect, he said, let me put a few things down on paper. <clears throat> and that scared me again. So... I said, look, man, I said, we don't have the money yet to be paying thousands and thousands of dollars on any plans or renderings or any of that stuff. And he just looked me in the eyes and he said, just let me put a little something down on paper and then we'll talk. And I said, okay. About a week later, he called, he and Stuart called, and they said, uh, we're not going to charge you a nickel to do what we're doing right now. He said, we just want to be part of what God is doing. These people don't go to our church. Do you all understand that? They don't go to our church. They said, we just want to be in. Now, don't, I didn't say they're going to build the church for free. Okay. Because that, I hope you all, I just don't want to say the wrong thing. But they did say, we want to be in line. In fact, they said, we want to be first in line to interview for the job when you build. And that was an honest answer. I mean, an, an honest request. And so y'all do understand this kind of work costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to get commercial renderings done for a building. But God is building his church and we just want to be in the place where he's doing it. And so I said, okay, do what you're going to do. You know, free is a really good price. And so I said, do, do what you're doing. You know, and, and here's the deal, man. These guys are believers. And so they have some discernment and they see what is going on with y'all. They see what God is doing in the midst of this body of believers and they just want to be part of it. And so we got some preliminary floor plans done and we got a preliminary price and we consulted with some folks to figure out what our land down there is probably worth. And so the next day, uh, I called a friend of mine at the bank that just so happens to be a guy that I've known since I was three years old. As a matter of fact, we grew up ten houses away from each other. We used to skateboard down Junaluska Drive, if anybody knows where Junaluska Drive is. But we've been friends since we were three years old. And I said to him, um, I said, is it feasible for us to build? And if it is feasible, what would it take to make that happen? Park on that. I'm, I'm going to get back to that in a second. And then I just, when I hung the phone up, I said, oh, my goodness. All of a sudden, it looks like God has got a little plan sneaking up on us. And I'm like, how did we get here in like two and a half months? So I want to show you what he's come up with. Before that, though, I want to tell you this. 
every single step along any thing that we've ever done, every single step along this way has been steeped and bathed in prayer. I mean, like, I'm getting home at night and I'm putting my shoes way up under the bed so i got to get on my knees in the morning to get them out. Steeped in prayer. Everything that we do. And so, look up here. I want to just walk through a little bit of what we've done, kind of what he has come up with. So that is looking at the front of the church. And I wish I could take credit for those crosses that are over the entrance. I think it's very cool looking. Um, but that is, the, that is kind of the front. Flip to the next one. There's a couple of different shots, different angles of the front. You've got to drive under over on the right side. Uh, a lot of glass in the front. The worship area is kind of in the back. That glass is looking into the foyer. It's about 17,000 square feet. That's about where we're at right now. This, between this area and that area over there, all this whole building is about 10,000 square feet to give you an, an idea. Um, that's looking at it from the other side. Flip, flip to the next one. That's a little bit of a close-up. you got a foyer there and then a, a coffee shop kind of off to the left, which we'll get to that in a second too. And I know I'm, going, I'm running through these quick. I right, flip to the next one. Okay, so this is the back. If you're looking at this, a speaker's never supposed to turn his back, but here's the deal. That way is Flat Rock Road, and this way is the rails to trails. So this corner there is a coffee shop. A coffee. This is the vision that we have. A coffee shop that would be open even when the church is not open. A coffee shop that people can, that trail kind of, that little trail goes straight to a tra- to the trail. And so people can come up biking or walking and we'll have water out there for people that are on the trail, living water. How about a label that says living water with, the, with our logo on it? Um, <clears throat> and so they can come up. There's a seating area out there. And this is not on the drawing, but there's a playground kind of on the over on the other side. And so... People can come up and get coffee or a refreshment drink or whatever it is they want whenever they want. People can park in our parking lot and walk and bike and run on the trail. And so when we were working on these plans, God sort of laying in the bed one night, he kind of gave me this, this, little, this idea, this thought. He put this thought in my mind, and it's, this is based on the, on the beauty of the land and the proximity to the trail and all of the things that he has done with anything that we've ever done on that land, I said to him, what if we made, you can flip to the next one, what if we made the back of the church, that back wall, where the stage is, instead of making it a wall, we put a roll-up roll up doors there so all the worship team had to do is turn around. Turn the speakers around and we can do an outdoor. Y'all may come to church on a Sunday if it's 70 degrees outside and we're just doing it outside and you didn't even know it. Or we have an outdoor Easter or we have an outdoor Christmas or we have a, how about we have, and that's facing the trail. How about we have a, a, a Friday night, the worship team does an hour of worship music that everybody walking down that trail is going to be hearing. That is, it's just cool. Now, the only person that balked a little bit of the, at that is the heating and air guy. <laughs> and I just said, that's for you to worry about. You figure that out. I just have this thing in my mind 
that if we're playing where people walking on that trail can hear about Jesus, heaven will be a little more crowded at the end of the day. So what do y'all think about all that? So so far at least. All right. Good. Good. So let's talk about the financial side of it for a minute. Maybe a few minutes. So five years ago, five years ago, we had a capital campaign, and it was called All In. Let me tell you what happened when we had this capital campaign called All In. People pledged X amount of dollars to the All In building campaign. doesn't matter what the number was. They pledged $10. They pledged $20 a month. They pledged $5,000 a year. doesn't matter what it was. But you had this bucket right there of All In pledged money. And then you had this other bucket of general operating expenses of the church. And this is what happened. That happened. They pledged $5,000 to All In, and they stopped their regular tithing and giving. They pledged 50 bucks a month to All In, and they stopped giving 50 bucks a month to the, to the general operating budget. And so you, had, you sort of had that happen. No, you didn't sort of have that happen. That is exactly what happened. It went up, and this went down. Does that make sense? Okay, we understand that. We're going to come back to that in a second, too. Are we fully clear on what happened? Okay. So let's, let's look at what we think this thing is going to cost, this thing. Let's look at what this church building, what we think is going to cost. Preliminarily, we think it's going to cost about $2 million. And so when I called my buddy down at the bank, the one that I just so happened to have grown up with, when I called him, he said, uh, he said, based upon that number and based upon what we feel like the land down there is worth, <clears throat> that if we came up with $500,000, we could be swinging a hammer tomorrow. If we came up with $500,000, we could be uh, building. Well, God is building his church, and all we want to do is be in the place where he's doing it. So if we're building 12 to 18 months from now, in the interest of openness, here are some what-ifs. Could the, could the plans change? I mean the building plans change. Could the design change? Of course the design could change. It probably will to some degree. I, I, I don't know. It will be prayed through. I think what we've got is a pretty good beginning. Could lending requirements change and the $500,000 number change? Sure it could, but indications are that that's not going to happen. Could building costs skyrocket and the total cost of it all change? Of course it could, but that doesn't look like that's going to happen. Could interest rates skyrocket and make the whole thing unaffordable? Of course they could. It doesn't look like a, a, a skyrocketing in long-term interest rates, it doesn't look like that's on the horizon. And there are other variables, for sure, that maybe the elders and I and our staff, that we maybe we haven't thought about. I think we've thought through much of this, and I think we've prayed through much of this. And, and you know what? Y'all, I've never built a church. In fact, I've never built a synagogue. You know? I, I've never built a church building. Built lots of houses but I've never built a church building. But let's do this together. That's what, that's what this is about. Let's do this, all of us, together. And so if we're close on the cost, this $2 million cost, which I believe we are, and y'all need to hear this, I, I really do believe that we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty close on the cost. And if we are, 
then our monthly facility cost, I don't know another word to use, our monthly facility cost compared to today are going down, not up. And what I mean by that is what we pay monthly on the land plus what we pay in rent in this building is more than the cost of this project per month. Now, that's nuts. That's nuts. And we don't own this, right? We will own that. Yeah, not that that's the biggest thing in the world, but the bottom line is we would be, we would be that, that monthly cost that we would have, there would be equity going into that where there's not really equity going in here. All of that so far makes sense. It needs to make sense. Okay, so here's the plan. Two big points here. First of all, it's based on a truth that I've said 20 times this morning probably. It's all based on the truth that God is building his church and we just want to be in the place where he is doing it. So we've got to raise $500,000 and we've got a ministry, a church to run while we raise that money. Lost people. The whole reason we exist. Lost people still need to hear the gospel while we raise that money. Me and you, we still got to be discipled and grow while we raise that money. Your tots and your kids still need to learn to love the Lord while we raise that money. Your teenagers, oh my gosh, your teenagers, they still got to be armed with biblical truths to defend themselves against the lies of the flesh, the world, and the devil. Because when they get launched to our liberal universities around the country, when they get launched to the universities, they will be attacked. And we, it is our job. And that doesn't mean that it's just Melodies and Julio's and Caitlin's and Ben's and Stephen Fortenberry's job. It is our job to do that. Our, our, our student leadership team, student ministry leadership team, they will have your kids for an hour or so a week. You will have them for all of those other hours. And let me tell you, the world will attack them. And we have to teach them how to defend that while we are raising money to build. Georgia Power, our current landlord, Wow Cable, the dude that holds the note on the, the dude, the bank that holds the note on the land down there. All the other expenses that the church has, there, we can't just turn them off while we raise funds to build. They still got to be paid. So what happened last time, it cannot happen. It can't. It can't. And I trust a billion percent that it is not going to happen. So I want to tell you what God has very, very clearly impressed upon me on the financial end of this. First and foremost, this transparency. We're going to open an escrow account Tuesday. At, at, at probably at Wells Fargo, but we're going to open a, 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 I don't know where we're going to open it. We're going to open an escrow account on Tuesday where all of these funds, building funds, are going to go into. And any of y'all that ever want to see an accounting of that, pick the phone up and call and come over to the office and we'll either go to the bank with you or we'll pull it up online and you can see it anytime. Are we clear on that? Okay. Number two is this. We, we're going to put a thermometer that should be around here. Um, here comes the thermometer. My brother Richard. <laughs> That's Richard hiding behind the thermometer. So look, 
We're going to put that thermometer in the hall out there. Because upon this rock, upon this rock, God is going to build His church. And we want to be in the place where He's doing it. We're going to color that thermometer in. It's going to be hanging out in that hall for all to see all the time. We're also going to put a line chart out there that this will be updated every week. This other one you may not see but once a month. But it will be a line chart of the regular giving of the church. It's too much work, honestly, for Lorna to have to update that every week. It's too much. But what I want you all to see is the image of our regular giving and an image of, of the, uh, the building kind of uh, giving. And so, look, our, uh, our goal is to do this in 12 months. But I want you to hear this. We want to do this. We want to be building by the beginning of 2020, January of 2020. But here's what I'm going to tell you. If we are not, y'all hear this now. If we're not building in 19 months, which is a weird number, but that's 18 months from January because it's December, and so I like odd numbers. If we're not building in 19 months, then you can have your money back. If you want your money back at the end of 19 months that you've given to the building campaign, the building initiative, you can have it back. I don't think you're going to need it back. But I want, there to, I, want it, I want this to be transparent enough that you understand that. And I think God is up to that challenge. I think that we build in 12 months. Okay, January of 2020 is the goal. Because God is building his church and all we want to do is be in the place where he's doing it. Thanks, man. Let me tell you something else. Not that long ago, a friend of mine that doesn't even go to our church... Um, but he loves our church, and he loves our ministry, and he loves the, the things that maybe that y'all are doing, the things that we are doing, and the direction that we're going. And completely unsolicited, he said to me, whatever, uh, whatever you raise when you announce this to the church, up to $10,000, I'll match it. And then I had another, I ain't done. And then I had another one last week that said the same thing with $5,000. So here's the deal. You know what? That's, that's, that would be $30,000 tomorrow if y'all are slow at math. Um, park on that in a second. Um, park on that in a second. And, uh, and I want to give you two more things and then we'll be, we'll be wrapped up. We're making one more uh, big change. And this big change has been fervently, and I mean fervently, prayed over and prayed through with our our elders, and with our, uh, with our staff leadership team. And we want y'all to be part of this process. And I'm going to say all of us, and when I say all of us, I mean every single one of us, all of the staff and all of the elders unanimously feel like God is leading us to change the name of the church. And here's where you come in to that. We have boxes, one back there and then two over here. There are index cards on it. We want y'all to do probably two things. If you have a suggestion for the name of the church, write it on an index card anonymously. Don't put your name on it. Anonymously and stick it in one of those boxes. Number two, we want everybody sitting here today and whoever's listening online to pray for the next month that God will show up and will provide what our what his name for our assembly is going to be. 
And we believe that a month from now, January 13th, because that's the closest Sunday to a month from now, that he's going to show up and reveal what that name will be. We want y'all to be part of that process. And so if you feel led to, I want you to write it on one of those index cards and put it down in there. And number two, number two is an ask. Number two is an ask. And this is not a money message. Today's message is not a money message. It is uh, the gospel will advance message. It's not a money message. It is uh, a we want to be in the place where Jesus is building his church message. However, at this particular moment of that message, there's a financial component to it. So if you are not currently a giver financially to the church today, I don't want you to give a nickel to this building initiative. Not a nickel. If you're not currently a giver to the church financially, I don't want you to give a nickel to this building campaign. I want you to begin to give generously to the church on a systematic, on a faith-filled, on a, on a methodical sort of way. Because tithing is a huge step in someone's journey of faith. It is a faith issue. It is a trust issue. It is not a money issue. It is a hard thing for most of us almost all the time. And it usually, for most people, is the very last thing, the very last step of faith that they take. And so if you're not giving today, we don't want you to give to this building initiative. We want you to begin to tithe and to begin to give regularly to the church. And then after it becomes a habit, then we want you to give above that to the building initiative. And if you are already tithing as we sit here, I want you to prayerfully consider the role that you will play financially in this project. We're going to talk more about this probably in January. But the immediate ask, the here and now on December the 9th at whatever time it is right now, that ask is we need $15,000 that tomorrow will be 30. Because we've got two checks waiting to be written for 10 and 5. And so it will be awesome to have that thermometer It will be awesome to tomorrow for that thermometer to be right there because that's 30,000, which is about 6 or 7% of the total that we need. That's what, that's what we want to happen um, today. And so, look, as, as we are finishing this up today, um, we're not going to have buckets. We're not going to pass buckets today. We're going to have our host team when we're done the, the host team, is they're going to be guys with buckets at that door and this door and out in the hall there. But we're not going to do that. We've got kiosks, a kiosk out there. And some of y'all, we never talk about this, but some of y'all don't know, but there's a little kiosk, kiosk by the uh, connections desk. And you can give electronically there. And if you're going to do that electronically, there's a little place to designate where, the, where those funds are going to go to. And if you want to do it, to this building initiative, check other on there. We don't have a building thing in there yet, but we will. So if you do it today and you want it to go to building, not in lieu of your regular giving, though, but if you want it to, you just check the other. And if you, if you write a check today and you want that to go towards this, just write on the check in the memo that it's for the, for the building. And if you are putting cash in an envelope today, I'm getting real pragmatic now. If you're putting cash in an envelope, write on that envelope that it's for the building so that we can know. Because we, we need to know or we won't have the vaguest idea. And so here's my last ask. I want to ask any of y'all, and I hope 
I hope that any of y'all is all of y'all because I want us all to do this. To come down front, I want us all to pray together. That requires standing up. But I didn't give you any timing, but I know my bad. But here's, here's what, we, what we want. We, we want us all to lift all to lift this body up to the Lord and all to pray together. And, as, and then the worship team is going to, we're going to pray, and then the worship team is, uh, is going to lead us in one more song. I'm going to ask Stephen Armstrong to pray for us. But I want us to, to lock arms as best as you can with 300 people in this room. Um, but as we, and as we finish, as we finish this, uh, after Stephen prays and after uh, when, the, when the worship team, and I will call the worship team up too, as the worship team uh, leads us in one more, one more uh, worship song, uh, y'all can, you can stay right here, standing up. You can stay right here, kneeling down. You go back to your seat. You can stand on your seat if you want to. You can stand on your seat and hold your hands up. You can kneel at your seat and do whatever it is you want. Uh, whatever y'all feel led to do as we worship in this last song, do. You can go back because the prayer team is going to be back there if anybody needs to pray with somebody or wants to be prayed over. I just want us to be in the habit of locking arms and praying together, especially when we're making big decisions as a body, as one body. So uh, y'all can come up here and we can do this too. Um, And I want to ask Stephen to pray for us. Y'all bow your heads, please. Lord. You ordained this time now from eternity past. Lord, what an honor it is to be a part of your church during this generation. Let me say that again. Lord, what an honor it is to be a part of your church in this generation. It is you have chosen us to carry your gospel forward, to advance your kingdom. Lord, that honor... It is just incredible, and we do not take it lightly. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our church. Lord, we're coming up on 10 years of launching this church, and we've seen highs and lows, but God, through it all, you have shown yourself as faithful as you always do. And and Lord, you've been faithful for generations, and we know that you're not going to ruin your reputation on us. You're going to continue to be faithful because that's who you are. So, Lord, thank you for what you are doing. It's so encouraging today. We feel your Holy Spirit in this room. Lord, if if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, Lord, I I pray that, that they would come to know you. That if the heart's moving right now, we got to know, God, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the salvation. So, Lord, I, I ask that if there's a decision that needs to be made today, that somebody would know you that that heart would be changed right now and that person would confess that they believe in you and that they would have eternal life with you. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our student ministry. Lord, we cannot praise you enough for what's going to happen there. There are going to be kids that, that go off to college and that are going to witness and, and change lives and, and change families for generations because of what's going to happen in this student ministry. So I pray for that leadership team. Lord, I pray that you would prepare their hearts every time they engage with, with our young folks. And that I, I pray that it would be sustained and that it would flourish. 
And Lord, these plans, let it not be our plan, God. Would you give us wisdom, discernment, understanding in all that we work through, that, that we would pray as a church over the next year. Lord, we put this goal out there of $500,000, but God, that's nothing to you. Lord, let us not be intimidated by that. Lord, we come to you boldly and confidently asking you to show up because that's who you are. That's what you do. You will never fail us. With you with us, nothing can be against us. So God, we lift this service up to you today. We put this body of believers in your hands and we fervently believe that you are our Savior, that you are light and life to all. Your name we pray. Amen.